I invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Ephesians 2 with me. Why do we build walls? In one sense, I think in our sinfulness, it's our human nature to build walls. But it's not always because of sinful reasons. Walls serve a purpose at times. They, in our homes, we have walls as barriers to keep out the elements, the, the rain, the wind, and so forth, and to ensure our privacy. But why do we build walls? Fear. That's one of the reasons we build walls. We build them for protection. Walls are a source of defense against hostile forces. The Chinese uh, built what is known as the Great Wall of China. It was built to keep out the invading hordes of Genghis Khan. And the wall stretches an amazing 420 miles. And it's no small wall either. I mean, it, it's along the whole Chinese frontier border It has stood now for over 2,000 years as a symbol of a people's desire to be safe. Hadrian's Wall, which I've seen in person in Great Britain, was was built for a very similar reason. It was to keep the warring tribes in the north from threatening numerous Roman settlements in the south. It was built in the second century, almost as old as the Great Wall of China, But far less, but still amazing, 73 miles long through the English countryside. Even in our day, uh, we have talked about and tried to raise money for, the U.S. has to build a wall along our border across all of Mexico. And we continue to build walls, don't we? Walls that separate. Perhaps the most famous wall, at least in recent years, was the Berlin Wall, It was built in 1961 by the East Germans who didn't want East Germans fleeing to West Germany for freedom. And so they built the wall. It wasn't destroyed or taken down till 1989. And people say or used to say that when they visited the wall, it was still up, that they could feel, actually feel the hatred and hostility that was there that the wall represented in East Germany. In fact, if you've seen pictures or watched videos, you'll know that it was heavily guarded by soldiers in East Germany uh, 24 hours a day, every day of the year. And there's numerous stories and episodes of people who were actually killed trying to get past the wall and over the wall to find their freedom. If you were alive at that point, you'll remember how in 1989, when the world rejoiced uh, to see the Berlin Wall dismantled. And what an incredible time in history it really was. And who could forget Ronald Reagan's historical speech, and I quote, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Two years after his speech, that's exactly what happened And I've seen footage of people who had been separated, family members, close friends, have been separated from one another for decades. And when the wall came down, they showed them meeting one another, embracing one another, kissing and crying on one another. What a great day of unity was because a fractured Germany became one people again. They finally had peace after all of those years. The Apostle Paul says that walls are really nothing new and describes for us in the passage I read for you this morning the most divisive wall ever created in all of history. 
In chapter 2 and verse 14, it's called the dividing wall of hostility. The New King James describes it as a wall of separation, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, This wall in the Jewish temple was built to symbolize the separation between God and man and man and man. Jesus came, and Ephesians is going to tell us and make it quite clear that he came to break down both of those walls, the vertical one and the horizontal one. And the reason he wanted to do that was because God intended us to have shalom. He wanted us to have his peace. But the question is, when you read the text, if you read it in its historical context, you have to ask it. And many who read this letter for the first time probably were asking, what kind of peace? What kind of peace was Jesus offering? Because the Romans offered peace. Uh, They called it Pax Romana. It was the peace of Rome. But this was a peace that was uh, gained or achieved by a sword. It was forceful peace. And uh, this was one that was, you like, take it or, you know, or you don't like it, um, you're going to have it because we're going to give you peace because you're going to do exactly what we say. And, and that was the kind of peace that was all offered. But Jesus comes with an alternative peace, not one that's gained through a sword, but one that is fulfilled by a cross. Not one that is forced, but one that is achieved by faith. So the question this morning I want to pose to you, and I hope that you'll ask it in your own heart, is this. How can I know peace? How can the wall erected by my sin between me and God be actually torn down? And the answer the text makes very obvious is this. Only Jesus can do it. In fact, you're going to find out that peace, unlike in our world, is not simply a plan written on paper. It is a person. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. The Bible says, chapter 2 and verse 15, he came so making peace. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace. So he is peace. He made the peace through his cross. And then he took the good news of what he had done and he preached it to others so they could have peace. See, truthfully, peace is all about Jesus and Jesus is all about peace. And maybe this morning you need to consider whether you actually have it. Uh, Whether you have the peace that only Jesus can give because the wall has been broken down in your relationship with God through him and his death and resurrection. See, truthfully, the first wall that has to have to come down in your life to have peace in any way, shape, or form is the one that is built between you and God because of your sin. See, that wall, whether it's up or down, will determine whether you have any hope of having the other walls come down. Isaiah 59 in verses 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull or heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins, see, your iniquities, it says, have separated you from God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. If you don't have peace with God, if you've never come by faith, to trust in Jesus Christ and his cross, death, and resurrection for your peace. You can pray all you want and do all you want, but God will not hear. Your sins, here's what they do. They separate you from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. The result of it was separation. They were kicked out of the garden. Uh, A cherubim with a flaming sword was placed at the gate. They couldn't come back. They couldn't get close to God again. Sin separates That's exactly what it does. And all of us in this room, all of us, 
have been building and erecting walls between us and God from the moment of our first breath that we drew into this world. And ever since then, hear me, every lie is just another stone that you put into your wall. Every cruel word that you've posted on the internet is just another brick to build the wall between you and God higher. Every unloving act you commit builds it a little steeper, a little taller every single day. Can I go a little further? All the thoughts that you've had, the wrong sinful thoughts, the motives that were selfish, the desires that you had that were not in keeping with the word of God, all of them are working together every single moment of every day of every month of every year of your life to continue to build the wall higher and higher and higher. And your sin is an infinite sin because it's been committed against an infinite God. And therefore, the wall that we have built and erected by our own choices is infinitely high. And most of us every day, if we do not know Christ, our separation shows. It shows every time we disobey his word. And the speech that Reagan gave, he told Gorbachev to come and tear this wall down because he actually could. But here's the difference between that wall and the one that you've erected. You can't tear your wall down. You can't. Only Jesus can tear your wall down. Only Jesus can bring peace into your hostility with God. Well, how did he do that? Well, he did it when he died on the cross. There's a verse, don't turn there, just listen. Mark 15, verse 38 says that the veil of the temple when Jesus died was torn in two from top to bottom. See, only Jesus can tear your sin down. Only Jesus can nullify the separation between you and God. The day that Jesus died on the cross is the day that he tore the veil. The day that he tore down the barrier, what kept you from him, he tore it down in his cross. And the Bible's very clear that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And the reason why it says that is because men would have to tear it from the bottom to the top. But the veil was 70 feet high. It was close to, a, it was very long and incredibly heavy. It took 300 Jewish men to carry it and put it up. That's how big it was. You weren't going to tear it and when, from the bottom to the top. God did it from heaven to earth, from top to bottom. God had to tear it down. He had to make a way in the death of his son Jesus to have an entrance for you to get back into the Holy of Holies. The veil was between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. See, you can't come back into God's presence. You cannot do that. You only can do it when you trust Jesus as your Savior. The curtain was representative of what only God could do. Once a year, the high priest would go into the temple on Yom Kippur after he made a sacrifice for himself, and he would put an, uh, a sacrifice on the altar, and Israel would be good for one more year. But Jesus came, and he did it once and for all, Hebrews said. And for me, the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior on November 19, 1976, almost 44 years ago, was the day that God, through Jesus Christ, tore the wall down 
in my life. See, today could be the day, August 30th, 2020, that you remember that's the day when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and he tore the wall down between me and God and vertically for the first time in my life, I have peace. I know that if I die, I'm going to be with, in heaven. I know the purpose for which I can live my life out every day under his lordship. See, today could be that day, but you have to come first to the realization that you can't tear your wall down. When I was growing up in sixth grade, we went to, our school took us to a camp, and we had a little camp trip before the year began to start off and build relationships. We'd do that at Faith Christian School, um, and they had what was called the, it was like an obstacle course and a bunch of other stuff you had to do to build teamwork and so forth, and one of them was that you had to get over the wall. Now, when you're in sixth grade, the, you know, a 12-foot wall looked pretty high, so they had a little thing coming off the top of it, and it was a rope. And you could, it was supposed to help you to get over the wall. So in my class, you know, I'm Walker W. Every, I was one of the last ones. But no one could get over the wall. They, they used the rope. They tried to pull themselves up. They, they, some, some people got close. Some people barely got off the ground. I mean, for a number of reasons. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the only one. I can't believe it. I'm the only one that's going to get over this wall. I didn't get over the wall. So I got so frustrated that I got a running start. And I got a running start, grabbed the rope, and pulled myself up. I barely got halfway. Nobody even came close to it. But I thought, how is that possible? Because we had a rope. We had, we had help. It wasn't that we just had to grab and try to scale the wall. No, we had help to get over. People were cheering us on. But nobody made it. You see, that's where you and I stand in our relationship with God if it's about ourselves. See, that's what self-salvation does for you. See, we've, God, in our sin, we've erected a wall, and we're saying, God, hey, I know I've sinned. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've done a lot. But God, listen, I think I can get over this wall because I'm going to try to be better. And we have all kinds of ropes that we've applied to help us. See, there's, there's the rope of religion. And we think that if we're religious and we're religious for a long time and we're pretty committed to being religious at that religion, whether you're Baptist or whether you're Lutheran or Presbyterian or Catholic or Methodist. or See, we think, oh, you know, I was born in this church. I was raised in this church. And if I just stick it out, see, I'm religious and God will be okay with that. And that's the rope of religion. But let me tell you, that rope will not get you over the wall. And there's the rope of righteousness. You know what that is, right? That I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but nobody is. And, and I do pretty good, and I pay my taxes, and I'm pretty moral, and I don't use filthy language, and I've been married for this many years, and I do this in the community, and you'd say, you know what? I'm not as good as so-and-so. I'm not Billy Graham or whatever, but I'm not also, and you put over here, and when you compare yourself to others, you say, hey, you know what, I'm at least in the middle of the road or higher, and you're thinking that if you climb and use the rope of righteousness, your own goodness, that you can get there, it won't get you over the wall. There's the rope of relationships. I've had people tell me, hey, you know, I'm not very religious and sometimes not even very right. But my parents were. And you know what? They, they went to church all the time. And, uh, you know, since I'm in their family, doesn't that count for anything? And can I tell you this? That rope won't help you either. It's not going to get you to the top. Here's why. Because even though when I did the climbing, I got higher than some people. Some people got higher than me. But here's the reality. Nobody still got over the wall. Romans says, for all have sinned and come short, and it means to lack. You just can't get to the top. 
not yourself, not in your own sin. And no matter how many ropes you try to apply, it's not going to get you all. And that's why God had Jesus come. Jesus is the only perfect person who ever lived who could get over the wall. And the rope that you need is not your righteousness, it's his. See, he comes down. He can get you over the wall. His death and resurrection paid the penalty for your sins. He can break down the wall of separation between you and God vertically. If you'll put your faith in him, if you'll say, it's not my church, Pastor Walker, it's not myself, it's not my family, it's not me, it's him, only Jesus and what he did in payment for my sin. But can I tell you, there's more to it. Jesus came, and here's what the new man is all about. If you look in your passage with me, the Bible says that when Jesus came, not only did he break down the wall vertically between you and him, but at the very same time, his cross and his blood does this. It breaks down the wall between you and others. And the Bible says, if you look with me, it says in chapter 2 and verse 15, by abolishing, I'm sorry, 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Who are the both? Jew and Gentile. See, this is a racial issue. See, there was separation. If you were Jew, you were thought to be superior and you were right with God. If you were Gentile, you are an outsider. And it says, he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that he might create Listen to this, create in himself one new man in the place of two, making peace. So the hostility that was between you and God through the cross is over, but also the hostility between you and others is over if you know him, see? Being in Christ also means that we are in each other as believers, but this is not something that can happen naturally because Paul goes out of his way emphatically in Ephesians, in our passage, four times altogether, to use the word create. He says in verse 15, I just read, he created in himself. See, individually in chapter 2, just a few verses earlier, he says when you get saved, you were created for good works. He made them for you. See, he made you to work them. Chapter 3 and verse 9 says, God who created all things also created the new covenant. Chapter 4 and verse 24, which we're going to read in a minute, says he put on the new man, the new man, the, the, new, the new humanity, I call it. And it says it's created after the likeness of God. So Christians individually are created new by him, and we as a church are corporately created new And the purpose is to express how much like him we are. The peace between people, and this is so important for our day, is only possible through the cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The church is God's new humanity that was created through his cross for a purpose. And the purpose is to show the world that true peace that they so desperately seek and everyone so desperately want cannot be found outside of a relationship with Jesus. We are doomed to continue to use all of the pseudo ropes that the world offers to find peace if we do not turn to Jesus An archaeological dig in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount in 1871 unearthed the remaining of a wall that literally stood in the temple of Jesus' day. The Jewish historian Josephus records that this wall 
which went around the entire interior of the, of the Jewish temple, was about four and a half feet wide and had 13 openings all around it. It's separated, its purpose was to separate Jews from Gentiles. And along the top of this wall, as Josephus records, at regular intervals were places where pillars were placed. And on each pillar, it had this inscription in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek so that nobody would miss it. And it reads like this. No man of another race is to proceed within this partition and enclosing wall about the sanctuary. Anyone arrested there will have himself to blame for the penalty of his death. That's how strong the racial separation was. It was not a sign that read, trespassers will be prosecuted. It was a sign that said, trespassers will be executed. For them, the differences of race were a matter of life and death, and they would kill over it. Sound familiar? In the Ephesians passages that I've read you today in chapter 2, there is a structure that is used in the original language. And it's once... But, past, once this is how it was, but this is how it is now. You can read it for yourself in chapter 2 and verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, once you once walked, before the new man came about, you were the old man. This is the way you used to live your life. And it says, once walked. See, and in verse 3, among whom we all once lived. And it says you lived according to your passions. It describes the un- ungodly way that you lived before you became a new man in Christ. And verse 4 starts out with this, though. But God. You see, once this, once this, but when God broke into your life, it changes everything. And Paul says that is not only true between you and God, also true horizontally. Look what he says, the same construction, chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore... Remember that at one time, it's the same word, once. Once you were Gentiles, once that Jews and Gentiles were separated, once they had nothing to do with one, once racial, uh, there was racial walls that had been built, he says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, he says. So once you were this, once you were separated, but look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus who were once far off. See, things have changed. Being in Christ changes the way, not only that you see God and know God, listen, listen, but how you see each other and relate to one another. Jesus came, and we're missing this today in our churches, Jesus came to tear down both of those walls. So let me tell you the hypocrisy that you say that you had broken down the wall between you and God, but you're still building it between you and other people, it's hypocrisy. It's wrong. And I don't care if you're white or you're black, it's wrong. You cannot live like you and God, the wall is down, and keep building it between you and other people. Jesus came vertically and horizontally. See, that's God's united nations. The wall that separates us from God and each other has been broken down, and out of it, God in his supernatural power has created a new society that is marked by a new oneness. 
In verse 15 of chapter 2, one new man. Verse 16, one body. Verse 18, one spirit. You see the idea? We are not two anymore. We are not black and white anymore or whatever. We are one person, one spirit in Christ. Our culture is a wall maker. Jesus' cross is a wall breaker. Do you understand that? That doesn't mean that the reality is true. The Bible points out that we are a fellowship of opposites. It is not, the Bible does not seek uniformity. The idea is not for everyone at Faith Baptist Church to be the same and think the same and hold the same positions on everything. That's not what Jesus died for. That's not what that peace is. Peace is not that it's uniformity. You get that on the uh, conveyor belts and the car places in Detroit. Where all the cars are the same, all the same parts, they look the same. All, no, we have unity in our diversity, which means despite the fact that we don't agree on everything and sometimes perhaps sharply about things, that we still have fellowship, we still have oneness despite the differences because we are a fellowship of opposites. And that's why it's supernatural. That's why God had to create it because you can't get it anywhere else. Anywhere else, the things that are different about us, they divide us. But that's not true and should not be true in God's family. See, our world's culture is fragmented because they have no peace of Jesus. So what we do is constantly build walls higher. And now there are new walls. There are walls of race. There are walls of gender. There are walls of sexuality. And see, if you don't agree with me, and let me it's not just we're all getting together to agree because this isn't about doing that. We're trying to get to all together as Christians to agree that this is what the Bible says. See, our differences divide us in our culture, not unite us. And the answer to that, may I say very clearly, and what's going to bring America together is not a new government, government, but a new man. And I don't mean a new man in the White House. I mean a new man in God's house. See, we have labels in our culture, and we are a community and a culture of opposites, just like the church. We are black and white. We are Democrat and Republican. We are conservative and liberal. And we are very good in our sinfulness and creating polarization. We are not good at creating peace. You know why? Because we can't. Only God creates real peace. And it's supernatural. Please turn real quickly to Galatians chapter 3. I want to show you how this looks. Galatians chapter 3 in verse 26 says, and notice that the beginning and ending of this paragraph starts and ends with the same little structure, in Christ Jesus, because that's, listen, the new man has a new identity, and you know what it is? You are in Christ. That is over everything. It reads, verse 26, Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are all, and notice the all will mean whether you're Jew or Gentile. We would say today, whether you're black or white, Democrat, Republican, whatever, all of you are sons of God through faith. For, here's the re- for as many as you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, beginning Christ, middle Christ, end of Christ. That's what we need. 
He says, listen, because you're in Christ and you put on Christ, let me tell you, three walls have been broken down. Watch them. Here's the first one. There is neither Jew nor Greek. The racial thing should not be a problem because Jesus and you're in him, it's been broken down. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all, see that? In Christ, in Christ, all, all. You know why? He wants everybody to know there are no exceptions to it. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You see that? It doesn't matter whether it's racial walls, Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter whether it's status walls, slave and free. It doesn't matter whether it's gender walls, male and female. See, those are the ones we face today. And Paul says the only way that you're going to break them down and live in peace and be one as fellowships of opposites is if you all are living out the identity that's over all those other ones. You have to live out that the most important thing is being in Christ. And when he makes these distinctions, Jew and Gentile, male and female, it's not that you stop being those things. Being a Christian doesn't mean I'm not a male or female anymore, even though our culture might say that. It doesn't mean I'm not black anymore or I'm not white anymore. It doesn't mean that I may, not have, I may have a political position. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important. Hear me, it means they are not most important anymore. It is not the lens by which I make decisions and see everything. He says, here's the lens we look through about everything. If you're in, in Christ is that lens. Christ is our identity. He is supreme over all other identities. So let me make it as plain as I can. Christ over country every time. I am not a Democrat and I am not a Republican. I am a Christian first. And so if the Democrats hold positions that are ungodly, separate yourself from that. If Republicans do the same, get out of it. Because in Christ, is what matters most. Christ over country. Let me give you another one. Christ over culture. So I'm not for female dominance and supremacy. I'm not for male dominance and supremacy in government or anywhere else. You know what I'm for? I'm for Christ supremacy over all of it. Let me give you the last one. Christ over country. Christ over culture. Christ over color. Can, do you, listen to this. I am not white first. I am a Christian first. And let me tell you this. If we lived it out and had the courage and humility to do so, it would make a difference in how we talk to one another and relate to one another and see these things. And we would be not so caught up in this ridiculous political thing going on. And we are different We are different, and the reason is because we are in Christ. Not odd different, God different. So what does it mean to be the new man? It means a lot of things. It means the wall between us and God is broken down. The wall between each other has been knocked down. What does it look like? And I have just a few minutes to show you in Ephesians 4. Three quick things. What does it look like when you, every single day of your life, Not in theory, but in practice, live out being the new man in Christ as a church and as an individual. It means three things, verses 17 through 19. New man means a new walk. Look at verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the, we don't walk the same. I don't walk as the Gentiles. And, and what does it mean to not walk like you're the old person that you used to be? What does it mean to not walk like people who don't know Jesus? And hear me, because we need to hear this in the church because we're not doing a very good job of it at times. Notice it's an interior problem. And I'm going to read you the highlights. Futility of their minds, darken their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, hardness of heart. You see the terms mind, understanding, ignorance, heart. The problem is as Christians, we are not being transformed in our interior life, our minds, our hearts. We are not willing to think through issues from a biblical perspective. We have marginalized and pushed to the side and the periphery of our decision-making in our life. The Bible Instead, we have substituted it for our political position or our racial position or who we think we are by all these other labels, and God will have none of it. He says, new man equals new walk. I don't think that way about those issues anymore. Because you know what the Bible is very clear on in this passage? That the wrong thinking turns to wrong living because the outcome of it is this. Verse 19, they have become callous given themselves up to sensuality, and they practice every kind of impurity. The way you think will transform itself into the way that you live your life. And there are repercussions for the way that you think. A new walk means, a new man, I should say, it means a new walk because we walk by a new wisdom. He's assuming this, though. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Boy, do we need to hear that. We follow Jesus. We don't get our cues from culture. We don't follow. He says, you didn't become his disciple and learn it from him. Let me ask you, would Jesus do what you're doing? Would Jesus do what our culture is doing? No, he wouldn't. And then he says this, and this ought to make you stop in your tracks. Assuming In other words, I can't really tell sometimes, but assuming that you have heard about him and have been taught by him because the truth is in him. So if you're not living the truth, I can't understand what you are doing, he says. Because if you learn Jesus, you wouldn't be doing this because the idea is that you're doing a lie, not the truth. So a new man equals a new walk. Secondly, this new man equals a new wardrobe. Verses 22 through 24, he talks about putting off stuff and putting on stuff. Those are uh, ancient Near East terms for taking off a set of clothes and putting on a new one. And the idea is that when you became a new man and you got saved, you used to wear this set of clothes representing your old life, your former life, the way you used to think and live apart from God. And now you're putting on a new set of clothes. You know, again, I've lost a few pounds. And so my suit, Pastor Dave goes, I'm sitting in the front pew. This is him preparing me for worship, by the way. He goes, hey, is that a new suit? I go, no. I said, I can finally wear it. It's been in my closet for a long time. He goes, yeah, it's really good. About time. (laughs) See, this is what I love to live with, right? But you know what? I have new clothes on. Let me tell you this. My goal was what? I don't want to go back to the old clothes I used to wear. Right? As Christians, that's how we should live every day. That's what we have to do, putting on and putting off. 
are something we have to do every day. I put off the, I don't think that way. I don't act that way. I don't respond that way. I don't work through issues that way. I put all of those old clothes, I get rid of them. Now I put on some new clothes. So you can go back and make a chart of your own. Put off is the old life. Put on is the new. Former life, a new created life. Deceitful desires, righteousness and holiness that is true. You see, they are completely antithetical to one another. They are polar opposites. They cannot come together. He says there's not only been a vertical change between you and God, but there's a horizontal change. You don't wear the same clothes any other. We might say today in the 21st century vernacular, you've had an extreme makeover. An extreme makeover. You wear new clothes. You're not the same person you used to be. And then he says, and if you're not understanding that concept, I'm going to flesh it out for you and show you what it looks like. So he says, new man, right? New man, he says, new walk. New man, new wardrobe. And lastly, new man, new ways. Verses 25 and 32. Now he uses... Catch it, and this is my last point, verse 25. Therefore, having put away, put away is the same word used in verse 22 as put off. So he's going to give you a bunch of back and forth between putting on and putting off. Put off falsehood, put on truth, verse 6, 26. Put off sinful anger, put on good anger. Put off stealing, verse 28, put on honest work. Put off corrupt words, put on edifying words. Put off grieving the Holy Spirit, put on grief. Uh, pleasing the Holy Spirit. But what you miss about the passage, if you're not careful, it's not just individual character traits he's trying to get you to hone in on. You know what the verses are about? Verse 25 and verse 32, bracket this section with the little phrase, one another. These are things that you do in your relationships with other people. With other people, you're not a person who shades the truth. You tell them the truth. You're not a person who's marked by anger and malice and bitterness and wrath. No, you're not that person. You're not the person who steals from others. You work hard so you can give to others. You're not a person whose mouth is filled with rotten speech. No, you talk edifying words to other people. You're the opposite of what you used to be. And he comes to the very end and he says, this is what it ought to be between you and other Christians. Here's how it looks. It doesn't look like lying and anger and stealing and corrupt speech and bitterness and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Can I tell you, that's all that you hear on the news. That's all you hear at the conventions. That's all you hear about talking about one another, all of those things. He says, but that's not what it means to look like the new man. If you put off the old and put on the new, you know what it looks like? Well, look at verse 32. Here's what you, and the word in the Greek is becoming. Here's the trajectory of where you're going. Here's the process that you're involved in. Here's the progressive sanctification that's taking place in your life. He says, instead of all of that and how you relate to people, here's what it ought to be. He says, I'm becoming kind to one another. Tenderhearted. I find it easy to be compassionate. I Forgiving, he says, see. I find it easy to forgive other people. See, that's what wall breakers do. All the other characteristics are people who are wall makers. That's what they do. They get angry and bitter and slander and they say things when they don't know the facts. That's what we don't do anymore because that's the old person. But the new person is kind-hearted, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Listen to this. 
And here's what the world doesn't have, which doesn't make us better, it makes us graced. As God, here's our phrase, in Christ. See, that's who we are. In Christ has forgiven you. We have, as Christians, have forgotten how much we've been loved. How compassionate God has been to us. We have forgotten how much we have sinned and how much he has forgiven us. It is easy to look at others and point the finger, but it is much harder to look in the mirror and still remember that you would be his enemy destined for eternal judgment and wrath and condemnation if it wasn't for his lavish grace that had nothing to do with you. Folks, that's what the new man is. Out there, something else. In here, in Christ, is supreme. Amen? Are you a wall builder or a wall breaker? Let's pray. We're going to sing All I Have is Christ, which is a great way to conclude our service in just a few moments. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, can I tell you, this may apply to you, it may not. First of all, may I say this, if you're listening this morning and you've never come to find peace through a relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never seen that King Jesus is the only one who forgives, you've never come to his cross and his death and resurrection as the payment for your sin. You've never realized he's your only hope, and you're still trying to pull yourself over the wall by your own ropes. Would you humble yourself today? Would you come to the realization that you're a sinner and you need a savior, and he's the only one that can get you over the wall? If you would like to have someone talk to you about that good news of Jesus, Please feel free to stay around after the service or give me a text or call. I'd be glad to spend time with you and help you to know the freedom that is in Christ. But if you're a Christian here, let me ask you, are you a wall maker or wall breaker? Maybe by your conversations with people, the things you've said that maybe other people don't even know you said about them, maybe the things you've posted on the internet, comments that you make, you feel so free to do. Maybe you need to seek other people out and say, hey, I should never have posted that. I wasn't sensitive about you or, or other people. You know what? I should never have said that. And, and I need to talk to you personally about it and ask your forgiveness. That's what the new man does. Quick to forgive and to receive and ask forgiveness. That's what we need to do. That's the kind of people we need to be. That's what Jesus created us to be through his death and resurrection. The question is, will you live it out? And it starts by humbling yourself and saying, I made a mistake, I sinned, I did this wrong, and I'm going to make it right personally with so-and-so. And maybe you should do that today. Not easy. It may not be well-received. But as much as is possible, which means it may not always be, but you're going to do what you have to As much as possible... I'm going to have peace with all people. doesn't mean compromise. It doesn't mean just throw away the truth. It doesn't mean just bend at every corner. No, it means that I speak the truth and I do it in love and let God worry about the results. Would you be willing to do that today?
Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for your word and its clarity. Grant that your servants, assuming that we know you, grant us grace, brokenness, and humility to say this, we've been wrong. We've been wrong. Help us to change. That we might be the new man you created us to be in righteousness and true holiness. For it's in your matchless name we pray. Amen.